You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Today, for the first Sunday in Advent, we're talking about the concept of a Savior. And the basic definition of a Savior is this. It's one who saves us. It's somebody who rescues us. And this concept of a savior has a very long history. Even in the early days of Greek and, and Roman culture, philosophers, politicians were seen as saviors. Fast forward to Western culture and especially American culture today, the concept of a savior or being saved is still very popular. It's so common in our culture that you would hear of movies, TV shows, comic books, even some music, where there is a hero character or characters who save the world or save a nation or save a person. The concept of salvation and savior is also very common in the world of religion. And various religions have various definitions of what our terrible plight is and how we can be saved. So if you're a Buddhist, you will be saved by, well, actually you save yourself by ceasing your desires. Just cut off your desires. Yeah, good luck with that. If you're a Confucian, You will save yourself through education, reflection, and moral living. If you're a Muslim, you will save yourself by living a good life of good deeds. If you're an Orthodox Jew, you will save yourself by repentance, prayer, and strict adherence to God's laws. And if you're into New Age, you save yourself by realizing that all is God and all is sacred and all is one, including all people and all of creation. So you live in harmony with all those things, you will be saved. What I find curious is essentially all religions teach that there is a Savior. That Savior is who? It's you. You save yourself. Religions teach you to save yourself. You see, religions exist Uh, to point out the various things that you and I should do or not do so you can save yourself. Well, that's the exact opposite of Christianity. So when people say all religions teach basically the same thing, no. All religions teach you to save yourself except Christianity, which says we cannot save ourselves Only God does through Jesus, that he is the savior, that he is the hero, that as we read the Bible, we're not reading a series of commands that we must do or not do in order for God's love and favor to be resting upon us. What the Bible is all about is the revelation of a person and the work of Jesus who came into human history as the savior to save us. Because we cannot save ourselves. This is a major theme throughout Scripture, and it begins in the Old Testament. We'll pick up just a few occurrences near the end of Isaiah 
all of these verses, God is speaking and he's telling us who the Savior is. Isaiah 43.11 says this. Remember, this is God speaking. This is what he says. I, even I am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. In other words, I'm the only Savior. There is no other Savior, just me. Isaiah 45.21. And there is no God apart from me. There's just one God. I'm that God. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. God says there's one God, that's me. There's one Savior, that's me. Isaiah 49, 26. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior. God wants all people, all times, all places, all cultures, all religions to know. There is one God, there is one Savior, and that Savior is God alone says almost the exact same thing in Isaiah 60, 16. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior. And in Isaiah 62, 11, we're told, the Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. See, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him. So here at the end of Isaiah, these verses we've just read, 700 years before the coming of Jesus, and this theme is repeated over and over. There's one God, and that one God is our Savior. And that God is coming to save us. That God is coming into human history, and that God is bringing with him salvation. And so from that time on, for hundreds of years, People are waiting for the coming of God, their Savior, and that leads us to the time of Jesus. As we enter into the New Testament, the concept of a Savior is inextricably tied to who Jesus is, why Jesus came, what Jesus accomplished. The New Testament speaks of Savior 24 times, eight generally, and 16 that are specifically referencing Jesus. But there are many more times that the uh, derivation of that word for Savior, like save, saved, being saved, is used countless times throughout the New Testament. All are pointing to Jesus. And so what happens is an angel shows up, just as promised in Isaiah, that there is one God and one Savior. And this angel shows up prior to Jesus and announces his coming. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. And what he says, this angel does in Matthew 1.21, speaking of Mary, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus literally means God saves. So the announcement is made. That Jesus is coming through the Virgin Mary. And so when Jesus shows up, the angel declares clearly, emphatically, that he is the Savior God. This is what we are told in Luke chapter 2. The angel announces to the shepherds, today 
in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So the whole Old Testament, in preparation for the coming of Jesus, has declared that the Savior God is coming. And when the, Jesus shows up, the angel said, told you so. Well, okay, the Savior God is here. So we know that we need a Savior because we're all sinners. And we cannot save ourselves. It's been established that there is a Savior. We've established that God is that Savior. His name is Jesus. We'll now examine what Jesus saves or who Jesus saves. And what I love about this is that Jesus doesn't appear as the Savior of some other religions. Other religions will tell you, well, God loves good people. Or God loves a certain race, a certain nation, a certain language group. Some religions even teach that God favors those who are rich. But what we see is that Jesus is the Savior, not of a select minority group of people, but Jesus came to save a multitude of people. That he is a global, multi-ethnic, multi-national, multi-racial God. And we'll see this, how it plays out in stages. So we're first told that Jesus came for the Jewish people. Here is a part of a sermon from the early church recorded in Acts chapter 5. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. This sermon was delivered by Peter, who is a Jewish man. And he's saying that Jesus is the savior of us Jews. Well, Jesus did come into human history as a Jew. He spoke the language. He participated in the feasts and the festivals and the worship and the study of the Old Testament. And most of the early Christians were converted Jews who saw the Old Testament prophecy, promises and prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. We'll deal with a lot of those next week. And so Jesus is the Savior of Israel. But he didn't come just for one nationality, one race, one culture of people. So the Apostle Paul then writes to the Ephesians, Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, what group of people comprise the church? Well, they're from all nations and languages and nations and tongues. So it spreads beyond the Jewish people as God's heart is for all of his people in all of his churches. What this means is what binds us together as Christians, and Christians can have different uh, opinion on worship styles or secondary theological issues, but what holds Christians together as a church is that you ask a Christian and they will say, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, and my Savior 
is Jesus. And today, 2.2 billion people on the earth say they are Christians. That acknowledge Jesus as their Savior God. That these are the people who comprise the church of Jesus Christ. So there are Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Roman Catholics and Orthodox the world over. Many different traditions, different distinctions, but Jesus died for the church. He died for all, and you accept that by receiving him as your Savior, that you know that he died on your place for your sins on the cross. It goes on to say also, Jesus does in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man, again, that's his designation for himself, comes from Daniel chapter 7. Jesus is saying that he came to seek and save the lost. You know, I think the most horrendous thing I can think of is the knowledge that you and I have sinned and we've gotten lost and God doesn't come looking for us. The most horrendous thing would be that we are lost, God doesn't come looking for us. In fact, what God says is, if you can find me, I'll save you. But that's actually not God saving us. That's us trying to save ourselves by gaining God's attention. That's what every other religion is about. You've gotten yourself lost? Well, you better get yourself found. Get yourself saved. Get yourself out of the predicament that you got yourself into. Well, if you're lost, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know where you're at. (laughs) How many of you have been that kid that at one time or another has gotten lost? I did once in a grocery store. It wasn't a very big grocery store. It only had nine aisles. I was a little kid. I'll just say that. I'm a little, I was a little kid. It was just my mom and I, and somehow I just veered away from her. I think I was looking for the Oreos, but <laughs> she found me. <clears throat> the Bible says that we're kind of like kids. God is our father. And we have wandered away from him. Now we're lost. And we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to find our way. And God, what God does, he comes to us in Jesus. That's the whole idea of Jesus getting off the throne and coming into human history. Because he's going to find you. Jesus is on a rescue mission. Jesus, our Savior, comes to seek and save those of us who are lost, knowing that otherwise we would never be found. But if Jesus is the Savior, and he comes to save sinners, and he comes to save lost people, then there's hope. Because the hope isn't in me, the hope is in him. And so Jesus is the Savior of the Jews, He's the savior of the whole church. He's the savior of the lost. And so Jesus is the savior not only of many people, but Jesus is the savior from many things. So what does Jesus save us from? Four things I want to mention. Remember we looked back at Matthew 1.21 just a moment ago. 
you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their what? Sins. Think about it. What would your life be like if you never met Jesus? What would be different? What would my marriage be like? Would it even exist? How would I treat my children? How would I treat my money and the the stuff that surrounds my life? I, I mean, all these issues, just thank you, Lord, that you save sinners. This is an amazing thing because we live in a culture where it's almost fashionable to accept our sin and accept each other's personalities. We don't just need to accept this. You know, this is who I am. Just accept the way I am. Well, I do love you. But wouldn't it be nice to be saved from our sin that we didn't need to just accept it or live with it or tolerate it or manage it or hide it or be overwhelmed by it or be enslaved under it? Wouldn't it be nice to be delivered from it? to be saved so that we don't have to keep committing that same sin over and over and you get to go live a new life, a different life. That's what it means to be born again, to be saved to such a degree that you get to start over in a very real and practical way. Number two, Jesus also saves us from the wrath of God. This is Romans 5, 9. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Maybe you're thinking, I don't like wrath. Good, you're not supposed to. (laughs) Maybe that's the incentive to repent. That you are seeing God as a good God because we're bad people. I'm a bad person. I think, say, and do bad things. How does God feel about that? Well, bad. He's unhappy with sin, so he's unhappy with me. He's unhappy with us, and the result is judgment. That's the consequence. It's, it plays right into his justice, his holiness. And Jesus, we're told saves us from the wrath of God. This is amazing. This is a wonderful gift. There's no way in the world that I should escape the wrath of God. I'm not a great guy. I'm not a good person. I'm not morally superior to anyone. All I can claim is that I have been saved by Jesus. So Jesus saves us by sin. That's number one. Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. Third, Jesus saves us from death. 2 Timothy 1.10. It has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus Christ saves us from death. We don't want to die. That's why we wear seatbelts. Take vitamins, watch what we eat. I watch what I eat. I'm staring at every single Oreo as I eat it whole. (laughs) 
We don't want to die. Death is our enemy. That's because we all sin. The wages of sin is death. So we are all sinners. We all die. But Jesus, in his death, defeated death by coming back to life. And now I don't have to fear death. That's the most liberating thing in the world. I don't have to fear the great enemy of death. And lastly, the fourth thing, we are saved from Satan. 2 Thessalonians 2.9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they've refused to love the truth and so be saved. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying in that passage, that some people think they have no need of salvation because they are spiritual. Spirituality can be synonymous with demonism. That's what he's saying. That some people will say, I don't need to be saved. I'm very spiritual. I I see auras. I'm clairvoyant. I have dreams. I hear voices. I have insights and supernatural experiences. I'm a spiritual person. But spirituality is sometimes nothing more than deception. It may include counterfeit healings, counterfeit supernatural powers, counterfeit insight, counterfeit voices, counterfeit experiences, all kinds of things, all counterfeit, masquerading as work for God, and it's all deception. Now, not only is Jesus our Savior, He alone is our Savior. You see, it's very acceptable to say that Jesus is a Savior. It'd be okay to say, hey, he's, he's one among many. Like, okay, that works for you. That's fine. It doesn't work for me. That's your perspective, not my perspective. That's your ideology, not mine. So good for you. It's okay to say that Jesus is one of many Saviors. The conflict, the tension, the resistance comes in. And always will when you say that Jesus is the only Savior. That's where the rub comes. I'll give you a couple of cultural examples of how that sort of pluralism works. It says, you know, Jesus is an option. That's okay. It's not okay to say he's the only answer. John Lennon once said, I believe what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha, and and all the rest said, it's just a bunch of translations that have gone wrong. In other words, all these leaders are saying the same thing. They just, you know, just kind of comes out weird. That's the common theme. Some people say that all religions and all religious leaders teach the same thing. Buddha says there are 84,000 paths to enlightenment. That's a lot, right? And how would you like to get directions, driving directions, from a religious pluralist like that? I mean, can you imagine you're driving and you say, all right, I don't know where I'm going. I'm trying to get to Canada. And let's say you don't have a GPS. 
So you stop, and the first person you ask is a religious pluralist. And you say, I want to get to Canada. And they say, well, all roads lead to Canada. Just get on one. No, actually, they don't. (laughs) Some will take you to Mexico. Some will take you to the ocean. Some will take you to New York. Some will take you to Florida. Some will take you around a circle. Some will take you to a dead end. It's just interesting that we don't live our life that way, but spiritually, that's exactly what some people will tell you. It doesn't matter what road, just get on one and travel it. They all go to the same place. No, they don't. All paths lead to salvation. Jesus said just the opposite. Matthew 7, 13, broad is the road that leads to destruction Narrow is the way to life. So choose carefully. There has always been resistance to the exclusive claim of Jesus. And in the early church, the reason why Christians were opposed and persecuted and put to death is because they kept saying that Jesus is the only Savior. Well, joining with the early church We declare with all certainty that Jesus alone is the Savior, that he alone is the way to eternal life, that Jesus alone is the means by which we are saved from death and hell and the wrath of God and Satan and sin. It's only Jesus. It's all Jesus. It's always going to be just Jesus. Is Jesus your Savior? If not, who is? What is? Because where's your hope? Where's your forgiveness? How do you conquer death? How will you overcome sin? How will you escape the wrath of God? Apart from Jesus, what else is there? Is your hope in Jesus? Is your trust in Jesus? Is your faith in Jesus? If not, Take time now to become a Christian, to ask Jesus to save you, to forgive you, to take away your sin, your condemnation, your death, because he will give you a new life as a Christian. You can do that right there in your seat. Jesus is alive in heaven, and he knows your thoughts. He knows your desires. He knows your heart, and he will answer that prayer. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.